Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If you have your Bible in Genesis chapter 38, I'm going to be speaking with the help of God on this thought, reframe your situation. So I want you to tell your neighbor, say, reframe your situation. I believe the Holy Spirit is here tonight to help us. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the release of the word. We thank you for revelation. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And God, tonight you know every need that is represented on this campus, every need represented for every individual and every home that is represented here through that individual. We ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest upon us in this place. God, give us me an ear to hear and a heart to receive it. And God, if there's anything in me that needs change, change me, O Lord. Change me, O Lord. And God, we ask you for your help tonight as we dig into the scripture that the word come alive and we not just be a hearer, but a doer of the word. And everybody in the house say amen. amen. I want to read a scandalous passage of scripture. Now that I have your attention. <laughs> Out of Genesis chapter 38, everybody say scandalous. You see, when you say things like that, people's ears perk up. Because we are itching to hear something juicy. But I want to read this passage. In fact, I'm only going to read two verses, and then I will summarize the message from there. But I want to read, in particular, Genesis 38, verse 25 and through 26. And the Bible says, but as they were taking her out to kill her, and we're speaking of Tamar, she sent this message to her father-in-law, Judah. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and said, She is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. Have you ever studied this particular passage in Genesis chapter 38? It's a little sorted. In fact, it's a little hard to swallow for a mixed audience. But it's the epic story between Judah and Tamar. Judah is in a predicament because two of his sons are dead. And when you read about it in Genesis chapter 38, it's not that it's something that you and I can all identify with. But Judah is in a situation that is painful. When you experience pain, how many know it hurts? When you go through some type of trauma, it literally sometimes feels like you got punched in the gut. Tamar had married both of Judah's sons, not at the same time, but she had married both of his sons. And after she had married the oldest son of Judah, he died. And then she married the younger brother of Judah, or, or of Judah's sons. And the Bible said that he died too. And as I was reading that in particular, I thought she really was a blessing to the family. <laughs> Tamar is now a widow. And she's living in the house of Judah. Because in that day, if you were a widow, you had the 
right to marry a brother of your husband as long as they were of age. <laughs> and if they weren't old enough, you would wait for them to get old enough so that she could be redeemed, that she would not have to live her rest of her days as a widow. So by law and custom, Judah takes his daughter-in-law, the widow Tamar, in and keeps her as a widow in his house. And she's now living in the house of Judah. Some would say right there, Pastor, she's living in the house of praise. But how many know sometimes you don't feel like praising God even when you're in the house of praise? And Judah begins to promise her that when his last son grows up, that she can marry him. At this time in his life, he's too young for her to marry him. She's already married two of Judah's sons, and both are now dead. But he makes this promise to her. If you'll wait for my youngest son, then you can marry him when he's of age. That as you follow the scripture, the Bible teaches us that Judah doesn't keep his word. And Tamar waited and she waited for Judah to keep his word. And the Bible tells us that long about the time that the third child grew up, the third son, that Judah still didn't offer him to her. And suddenly she realized that he had tricked her. And you know what happened to Tamar? Bitterness set in. When you've been lied to, when you've been tricked, when somebody promises you something but doesn't deliver on that promise, if you're not careful, bitterness can set in. Resentment can set in. She's living in the house of praise, but she has a root of bitterness inside of her. He has tricked her with a good reason because in my opinion, Judah was afraid. He was scared of losing another son. He didn't want to relive that pain again. I'm preaching to somebody. He didn't want to have to go through that experience again. And like most people whose hearts have been broken, we end up avoiding anything that might put us in a position of vulnerability again. But can I tell you the only problem with that is when you close out the pain, you also close out the power. When you close out the pain, you're eliminating yourself from access to the power of God. We're trying to close out the burden, but inevitably we're closing out the blessing because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't want to leave ourselves vulnerable again. In fact, that's why the enemy tries to bring us through failure so that we'll shut down our womb, my God. We'll shut down our womb. We'll close our possibilities. We'll live in a vacuum. We'll isolate ourselves to protect ourselves so that nothing can get to us, nothing can get out, and nothing can get in. We shut down, we close off, we build walls, and we are shutting the womb of possibility down in our life. So we live 
our life going through the motions. We're having fun, but there's no impact in our soul because we can't afford and the risk of being hurt again. We don't open our hearts to love again because the last time we loved, something went wrong and it died. Tamar is stuck. Everybody say stuck. Tamar is stuck in the house with Judah as a lifelong widow. Tamar feels stuck in her situation. I don't know how to get out of this. My father-in-law has lied to me. His least son, his youngest son, is now engaged to another. And I realize that I've been tricked. I'm going to live out all my life as a widow in the house of praise. I'm going to live my life stuck in a place I never saw. And as time unfolds, Judah's wife dies in the process. And Judah's third son grows up in the process. And Tamar is a woman who has been lied to. She's a woman who decides to take matters into her own hands. Now, I don't always recommend folks taking matters into your own hands. For time has taught me that when you get ahead of God, you make a mess for yourself and a mess for everyone else in your life. It's a quiet bunch tonight. But I've not only learned that personally, but I've learned that in the ministry. When people don't know how to wait, when people don't know how to wait and they end up hurting the body of Christ with a, their unbridled ambition. You, you won't preach with me here, but, but I'm talking about waiting and not taking matters into your own hand, not getting ahead of God and birthing an Ishmael before God gives you an Isaac. You've got to wait on the Lord. Somebody say, wait on God. You've got to wait on him. No matter how long it takes, you can't hurry, God. You've got to learn how to wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Wait patiently upon on the Lord and he will incline his ear unto thee. If we don't wait, we end up hurting a bunch of folk because we get ahead of God with unbridled ambition. But I have a word for somebody here tonight on this Wednesday night and I want to say it to everyone that's here and watching. Don't die a widow in Judah's house. I hear God speaking to somebody even in my prayer time today. Don't die a widow in Judah's house. Are you hearing me tonight? Because what I just said is very deep. What I just said is a very deep thing. Y'all want to equate Judah to praise? Y'all want to equate Judah to worship? But I'm not talking about worship right now. I'm not talking about praise right now. I've come to tell somebody tonight, don't you die dressed in funeral clothes. Don't you die with a veil over your face. Don't you allow the rest of your life to be held up by your past. Don't die a widow in Judah's house. Don't dry, die. Don't let your history kill your destiny. God has something ahead of you. And this is for somebody 
somebody here in tonight. Your history is an assassin that is looking for an opportunity to kill your destiny. You've got to be aware of the enemy's devices. So tonight, I come to you with this word of encouragement. There are certain times in your life you've got to do something. And the story continues. Judah is going now up to Timnath to shear sheep with Hira the Adumalite. And as he's making his journey to the sheep shearing country, and by the way, it's amazing what people will do when they're 100 miles from home. So Tamar decides to take matters into her own hands. Tamar takes off her widow's veil. She puts on another costume that it is not only a costume that is suggestive, it is a costume that is provocative. She veils her face and she plays the part of a harlot. For those of you that don't know King James, that means prostitute. She plays the part of a harlot. She takes off the widow clothes. She takes off the veil of widowing. And she puts on an entire different costume and begins to appear to others as a prostitute. And she knows where Judah's going. So she gets ahead of him. And the Bible says that she positions herself on the side of the road and waits for Judah to come along. And as Judah is heading to sheer sheep country where he's with, uh, on assignment, he comes up on this prostitute or perceives her to be one. She is on the side of the road. She is uh, there presenting herself to the passerby as a harlot someone who is open for business. Can I get real tonight? But you have to understand that in that day, there was no money exchange. In that day, there was a bartering system that was in place. And because he doesn't have what is custom, a goat or a lamb or a yearling of his flock with him, he has nothing to barter with for her service. Come on, somebody. And Judah, his loyalty to God's law begins to fluctuate because lust is in him, my God. See, if there's nothing in you, it can't come out of you. If lust is in you, it's looking for a way to express itself. Preach drums. If there's something in you, you can be tempted of it. It's quiet in here. Y'all think I'm reading Agatha Christie up here, but I want you to understand, you got to understand lust is real. And the Bible said that when he sees her, something begins to flutter in his heart. And the law of God begins to fluctuate in his life. I told you, it's amazing what people will do when they're a hundred miles from home. And he says to her, uh, if you will, if we can be together, and be intimate he vows that in return for her favor he will give her a yearling of his flock when he returns and she says to him how do I know 
that you will keep your word. You have to remember that Tamar has already been a woman lied to. She already knows his character. She has disguised herself in her prostitute costume. He doesn't know who he's dealing with and he doesn't recognize her and he doesn't recognize her voice because lust will make you blind, my God. Lust will cause you uh, to be overcome and he doesn't realize that she is the one that is his daughter-in-law he's talking to and she said, how do I know that you will keep your word because she knows he's a man that has already lied to her before but Judah says because until I come back with the yearling or I come back with the lamb I'm going to give you something and the Bible said he gave her three things and I want you to write them down he gave her his ring he gave her his bracelet and he gave her his staff let me preach in here when you begin to underline the word ring and you see the significance of the ring that anytime you were in possession of a ring it represents the seal of your authority. It represents the signet of your name. It represents all your property. It represents all your security. And for one night of favor, he was willing to give away his authority. For one night of sin, he was willing to give away his property. For one night of sin, he was willing to give away his seal and his signet. And then she gave her his bracelet. And the bracelet represents his word. The bracelet represents the sweat of his brow. And then he gave her his rod or his staff. You know that staff that most men carried in that day? It was the rod of their legacy. Because upon that staff they would have inscribed the stories of how God brought them over. Now they could talk about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. They could talk about how God delivered. And when they got old enough to pass on their legacy, they would hand their staff off unto their children and to the right of the firstborn and they would carry the staff that was daddy's authority that represented everything that God brought him through. He gave her his authority. He gave her his legacy. He was willing to get rid of his whole life all for one night of favor with a prostitute. I don't have anything to barter with you as his custom. But to tell you that I will keep my word, you can have these three things that are valuable to me. And Judah gives her his stuff. And he doesn't mind her having it for a minute because he thought I'll be right back. And when I get done with the sheep shearing and when I go home, I'll come back and I'll return to her with a yearling of my flock as I said I would. But the Bible says that when he returned, she is nowhere to be found. And nobody in town has ever heard of a harlot matching her description. And just like that, he lost his ring. And just like that, he lost his bracelet. And just like that, he lost his staff all for a momentary night of pleasure. And the Bible goes on to tell us three months have passed and Tamar is starting to show signs of pregnancy. She's sick in the morning. 
She's sick in the noonday. She's sick in the nighttime. Her ankles begin to swell. And she knows what's coming. She's going to have the shame and the title of being single and pregnant. And they come to Judah and they say, Judah, your daughter-in-law Tamar isn't as sad as you thought she was. She's pregnant. Now what are you going to do about it, Judah? And Judah got mad like we always do when we see the weakness in other folk. We become righteous when someone else is wrong. It's always easier to be righteous when someone else is wrong than it is to be righteous when you're the one that's wrong. And they looked at her and they said, by law, we need to burn her. Burn her to death. Let's burn her and the baby. Burn her to death. Now watch this. Judah acts like that his family has never had a scandal. He acts like he's so righteous. He's so indignant. He's going to burn her alive. She's such, a, she's such a rank sinner. She's, such a, she's worse than a sinner. She brought shame to my family. He acts like he's the only one that has never had a skeleton in his closet. Am I preaching to anybody who walks around with their nose high? Act like they're the only one righteous in the church. Anytime someone else stumbles and falls, they're quick to pounce on them. They're quick to point their finger. They're quick to get on Facebook and put everybody on blast. I can't get nobody to help me up here. I guess I'll preach to myself a little bit. I want you to know we live in a world full of people who think they're more righteous than everyone else. And Judah acts like it has never rained on his parade. He acts like he's always been walking tall in cotton. He acts like he's always been on cloud nine headed for 10. And he ain't never had any scandals or skeletons in his closet. And here's what he does. He orders her to be brought out and bring her out right now build me a fire we gonna burn this lady we gonna burn her to death he intends to do it and they all gather around her like church people do sanctimoniously uh huh we gonna get you now yeah God found out God gonna get you but I want you to see something about this pregnancy that God began to show me God was about to use a situation that nobody understood to bring Judah an unexpected blessing in his life. I come to tell somebody that God can take a situation and he can turn it around for your good. God can find a situation and bring about positive in it. I'm speaking to somebody today who has been ashamed of your past. I'm preaching to somebody who has lived in the shadow of remorse. I'm preaching to somebody who don't want to look anyone else in the eye because your head is hung down low. You're upset at your failure but I say to you today don't burn your future because of your past don't burn your future because of your past God's got something great for you he wants you to stay in it he'll turn it for your good now notice that Judah did not say let's put her away Judah did not say 
Send her out of here. Put her out of the camp. Let her go off on her own. He doesn't say, I am so ashamed of her. But notice that Judah does say, let's burn her to death. And just before they strike the match, Tamar looks up and says, I'm sorry that I hurt you, but can I tell you who the father is? And because people always want the details. Church people always want the lowdown. They tell her yes. And Tamar goes into her tent and she comes back and says, the man who got me pregnant owns these things. And she reveals the ring. She reveals the bracelet. And she reveals the staff. Y'all didn't know that this kind of drama was in the Bible, did you? Judah is now in a predicament because he now realizes that the child is his. And as the blood drains from his face and his hypocritical countenance, all Judah can say if she was more righteous than I. Judah realizes the child is his, but not just one child. Oh, the Bible said she was pregnant with twins. Oh, I want to preach here. Hear this. Tamar is pregnant with what he lost. Tamar is pregnant with what he lost. God is about to turn your situation for good. God wants to restore to you the two the things that you've lost. God wants to restore to Judah the two sons that he's lost. I wish I had time to preach like this. Sometimes God will use strange situations to restore you. Sometimes God will use situations that are scandalous. Sometimes he'll turn things around that you would have never saw because if he had killed Tamar he would have killed the answer to his prayer. God was about to bring him what he lost. God can turn your situation. I don't care how bad your past has been. I don't care what dirt they dug up on you. God can turn it for your good and restore to you the years that were stolen from you. Who am I preaching to? You didn't grow up with a daddy, but that's all right. God said, I'll be your father. You didn't grow up with a mommy. God said, that's all right. I'll be your mother. I'll restore to you what you left. I wish somebody would give God praise. He'll turn it for your good. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Isn't it funny that 
God will find a way to give you back your stuff. Sometimes it's unconventional. You don't even recognize God in it. It's in an unlikely way. He uses someone that you wouldn't even expect. But when God gets ready to bless you, he'll turn your mistake into a miracle. Hey, when God gets ready to bless you, he'll turn your test into a testimony. Where are my real saints at? I won't preach to the real saints. Are there any real saints here tonight? Where are the folks who witnessed the saving power of God? Where are the people that God had to pull you out? Where are the people that God had to pick you up out of the pit? Where are the people he had to wipe the dirt off of you? He had to move all the mess out of your heart. Where are my real saints at? God will use me methods you never saw coming. Tell your neighbor God is about to restore what you lost. Ooh, I know this is Wednesday, but I feel this. Before I take my seat tonight, I want to show you something else I saw in the passage. Are you ready? Tamar presents the ring, the bracelet, and the staff. And when she does that, write this down. The ring made him kin to the baby. The ring made him kin to the baby. Now in the Bible, there's a phrase you all know called the kinsman redeemer. That you're only allowed to redeem what you're kin to. <laughs> that you're only allowed to redeem, George, what you're kin to. Remember this. You can only redeem what you're kin to. Let that sink into somebody tonight. That if you're not kin to it, you can't redeem it. If you're not kin to it, you can't redeem it. Oh, I'm making somebody think deeper tonight. Tell somebody good it's working. Let me teach tonight. If you remove yourself from it, you are then powerless to change it. If you remove yourself from it, you become powerless to change it. So you have to get in there with it to be related to it. Are you ready for some more? Follow this train of thought if you will let me. Are you willing to be kin to the baby? Are you willing to be kin to the mistake? Are you willing to be kin to the mess? Are you willing to be kin to the dysfunction? Oh, I'm preaching to somebody's family right here. Are you willing to be kin to the situation? Are you willing to risk your title, to risk your reputation, to risk your persona so that you can then become kin 
to the baby. Oh, a lot of people want to have a big ministry, but they're never willing to be kin to the baby. A lot of people want to preach to the thousands and the multitudes, but they're not willing to be kin to the baby. They want the title, but they don't want the towel. They want the position without the posture. They want the notoriety without ever going through the agony. I come to ask somebody, are you willing to be kin to the baby. That's why everybody can't be a great preacher or a great minister because they're not willing to allow God to bring them through something, to bring them through tragedy, to bring them through strife, to bring them through a struggle. They don't want to have to deal with that weakness. You don't have, listen, if you won't be kin to it, you can't change it. They don't want to be confronted with the stuff. And she threw the stuff down at him and said, burn me now. Burn me now, baby. (laughs) Burn me now. But remember... If you burn me, you burn you. I know too much about you. If you burn me, you burn you. Oh, I don't have time to preach this. If you burn me, you burn you. If you burn me, you burn what you've been praying for. If you burn me, you burn your future. I'm here to prophesy to someone tonight. Anything that carries your future, you better hold on to it. Anything that carries your future, you better hold on to it. Don't hate your hurt. God's going to use it. Don't despise your detriment. God's going to use it. Don't mistake your mistake. God's going to use it. Don't shroud your struggle. God is going to use it. Anything that carries your future, you better hold on to it. Now watch this. Judah changes his mind and decides to keep Tamar alive. And in doing so, his posterity is Preserved. And before I take my seat again, here's my final point. Tamar reframes her situation. Say this with me. Tamar reframes her situation. They drag her out to burn her alive. But she throws down the evidence. They drag her out to burn her in public, to scorn her and say, sinner! But she throws down the evidence at the feet of her contributor. At the feet 
of her participator, at the feet of the liar, at the feet of the broken promise maker. She throws down the evidence. Oh my God, evidence. Did you hear what I just said? I said evidence and the Bible said faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it is the evidence of things not yet seen. She had to hold on to the evidence. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. You got to hold on to the evidence. Somebody hear me. Don't believe everything that they said about you. As long as you don't, you can reframe your situation. I know they talked about you. I know they cursed you. I know they tried to bring you down. I know they sat around and talked about you at the table. I know they said you'd never be nothing. I know they lied through their teeth. But as long as you can hold on to the evidence, you can reframe your situation. I come to prophesy to somebody, hold on to the evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence. It don't matter what they said. Hold on to your evidence. Come on, somebody, shout in this place. Stand to your feet and let me exhort to you tonight. Bethel Family Worship Center, hear me. We love you. Beverly and I want you to learn how to reframe your situation. We've been praying for you to do this. You have the power to reframe your entire story. I'm giving instruction now to someone, and this is for someone in this room. If you wanna go back to school, go back to school. If you wanna open up that business, open up that business. It doesn't matter whether you've won or lost. From today forward, you're reframing your situation. You have the power to reframe your situation. I break the victim mindset off of somebody right now. I break a victim mindset off of somebody right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, God wants you to do more than just survive as a victim. And I wrote this down in my notes tonight that survival is not your only success. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I hear the ho, oh, I hear the Holy Ghost. Yes, Lord. I hear the Holy Ghost speaking to somebody. Survival is not your only success. God told me to tell this congregation. God told me to look into the camera and tell you tonight that if all you see of yourself is that you are a victim, a victim of society, a victim of poverty, a victim of racism, a victim of prejudice, a victim of geography, a victim of whatever, then that's the mindset you're going to pass down to your children until someone, until someone, you run into somebody in your genealogical line who looks at you and says, hey, 
wait a minute I am better than this I'm not a victim because who the sun sets free is free indeed I come to break the curse off of you I come to tell you you're not going to live in dysfunction that's why I love to be around people who are full of victory can you lift your hands and give God praise you're a victim a victor you're no longer a victim in the mighty name of Jesus come on and praise him in this place (laughs) stay with me here God told me to release this to you that God's going to help you turn your mistake into a miracle lift your hands up God said you're going to turn your mistake into a miracle. God said he's going to return your mistake into a miracle. He's going to return your mistake into a miracle. I feel like prophesying to somebody right now. God said he's going to use you in the second half of your life. God said you're going to use in the second half of your life. You were on your way to getting old because you were told to be old. You were on on your way to say I'm just going to die a widow's death in the house of praise this is all that's ever going to be you are on your way to settling in you are on your way to believing their report but watch out God said hold on to the evidence I didn't tell you to get old I take you to claim the mountain that I've called for you I'm not going to lay dead just because you say I have to I'm not going to act old I'm not even going to dress old. I'm not even going to feel old. I am a victor in Jesus' name. I need some radical people to praise God in this house. I need somebody that's not ashamed to give God some radical praise in this house. Somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. Somebody praise the Lord. Anybody praise him. Everybody praise him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 